Hey everyone, in today's episode, I'm joined by James Rootledge, founder of Sanctus and author of Mental Health at Work. I met James a few weeks ago in London. We were backstage at an event and we connected and had a really great conversation before the event started. So of course I had to reach out and invite James to come and be on the podcast. He kindly accepted. And so in this episode, we talk a lot about mental health. We talk about James's own journey and his perspective and what led him to starting his company, writing his book, and ultimately why he's so passionate about talking about mental health issues, specifically at work. So let's dive into this week's conversation with James Rootledge. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate, and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation since we met because, you know, we, we, we met recently at the You Coach You Penguin event. It was actually my first live in-person event of the year. So I was really excited just to be, you know, back in the room with people again. Yeah, same. It was, not, it was really nice to meet you, actually. I'd, I'd not done anything in person for a while. So I was, uh, I think I had a bit of your energy for like the next couple of days. <laughs> Great. Well, I've got loads of things I want to talk to you about. I feel like I've kind of been stalking you actually since in preparation for our conversation. So I'm going to jump straight in with my first topic that I want to talk to you about, because as someone who has started two businesses, one that failed and one that grew incredibly successfully, why do you say that you're reluctant to call yourself an entrepreneur? How do you know that? Well, I read it. Seen that? <laughs> I read it. You wrote those words. Those are your words, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> you must have done some digging. Um, I suppose it, it, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with the with the label. Not maybe not so much the word itself, but you know how it's used. Um, I think a lot of people call themselves entrepreneurs or use the word entrepreneur or use a lot of business terminology really as clickbait um that I just I just kind of feel uncomfortable about it I I really dislike some parts of where the whole sort of social media startup kind of Instagram world takes us Uh, it's kind of can be like a race to the top like who's you know who can brand themselves the best and you know there are loads of people that I don't know call themselves like five times award-winning multi-million pounds entrepreneur and then you do a bit of digging and and like it's not it's it's not all it it seems so I suppose I've kind of been put off put off the word a little bit um I've definitely settled into a bit more though now I mean yeah as you say like two businesses I've never had a job um or I suppose what you'd call a proper job so Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I am I am an entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't think I can hide from that much longer. <laughs> yeah, I understand what you mean for sure. I think we've kind of 
glamorize the term you know it's become kind of like the rock star status is to be as you described this kind of uber successful entrepreneur and often the depiction i think today of that person is that they are you know confident charismatic guy or girl young driven and and also like quite aggressive in their approach to work mm. and life you know this kind of relentless energy or relentless pursuit so do you think that there's i guess an expectation from the only certain types of people can start successful companies or, or be successful entrepreneurs? Yeah, I do, to be honest. I think we've got quite a narrow view of what a successful entrepreneur or even just what a successful person looks like, to be honest. I mean, if I wind the clock back, say, 10 years ago when I was at university and I was sort of young and naive and, and curious about what I might do with my life... And the main UK entrepreneur business person narrative is probably dominated by Dragon's Den and The Apprentice. Mm. And you watch those two shows and it's all macho, bravado, stick your chest out, show no weakness. So that was that was what I thought good looked like. Mm. And I think there's a growing movement of people being more honest and vulnerable and real and authentic. Yeah. I do still think the status quo is, is the show no weakness, you know, always, always on, always killing it, always smashing it, always doing well. Um, mm. you know, and never uh, really talking about what, what, what might be going badly or how you might, how you might be struggling. Mm. And obviously, we're going to come on to talk a lot about that because we know how detrimental that can be. But you mentioned the word success then. And, and you know, you said maybe not just professional success, but success as an idea or, or how we define success or a successful person. So throughout your journey, you know, you mentioned say from like 10 years ago to now, mm. how do you think that your your how you define success for yourself? How has that changed? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've definitely changed, I think, my view of success. I, I think initially, you know, I would have viewed success as material things. I would have looked at it in terms of status, fame, um, money, and and material possessions. I know in my first business in particular, when I when I left university to do that, for me, it was all about raising more investment because raising more investment felt like status and it felt like success and it felt like growth and achievement basically now if you dig into that raising the investment would have meant wealth so it means money it also means sort of recognition by some others that i deemed powerful or gave authority to in my life and then as i experienced the downside of that of, of chasing the wrong things in my life I suppose there's a bit of that still there I think I'd be lying to say it's it's completely gone but I'm trying now in my life to look at success less about the material and the external and more about how I feel really to be honest how I feel day to day and, and how I feel in my life and kind of how I show up and how I live and how I behave and what values and, and the kind of person I am. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it's a constant thing, isn't it, that we have to 
we have to reassess and we have to think because, you know, I've, re- I've recently, well, last year I, I read Will Store Status Game and I actually interviewed him on the show. And I find his work fascinating the, around status and success. And, you know, it's so interlinked with our peers or our community or the people that we're looking at online or the people that we might, you know, went to school with or the people that we work with or live next door to. And that can impact as well how we view success. So as you said, as much as we can work on, okay, this is my, these are my values. This is what's important to me. This is how I'm going to define success. The minute we, I guess, open our eyes or step out the front door or go onto social media, there's all these other narratives and other people's idea of what success is and what it looks like and it's hard to just say well I'm going to ignore all of that and and live in my own you know in my own bubble because we do live in the world with other people so yeah I think it's a thing we have to constantly check ourselves and constantly reassess okay is this my idea or is this one is this someone else's idea you know is this what someone else is telling me is cool or great or or I should want this or do I actually want it myself it's a really hard line to navigate I think yeah it's difficult isn't it because you can you can create your own values and your own priorities in your life and, and what you would be proud of. But if that's not the dominant model and that's not accepted by whether it's your family or your friendship group or the environment you work in, then that can feel quite lonely. So I think we're at that, we're, we're kind of still at that conflict point, I think, like in the world at the moment where, you've, like I said, I think you've got to grow in, sort of community of people that are starting to essentially value their health and happiness beyond you know money status and 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 other things mm-hmm. yet i'd still think that that's a minority so you can feel like you're doing something wrong i think yeah you can and and also you can kind of well maybe myself speaking anecdotally you can also feel quite conflicted or maybe even guilty if you do for example, achieve something that you've worked hard towards and then you think, oh, actually, you know, for example, let's say, you know, we're not supposed to like consumerism, right? So we're not supposed to want to buy things. We're not supposed to like stuff. And sometimes I'm like, I like stuff, you know? I like shopping. I like going yeah. and buying a new pair of boots and I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be this zen, you know, disc- <laughs> you know, a minimalist who's like, I don't need any stuff, but I'm not, I, I'm human and I like to go shopping. Yeah. So there's uh, also that conflict, right? I've been on a massive journey with that. Yeah, I think I, think I sort of, you know, I've probably spent, let's say the first sort of five years of my startup career or my working career chasing money status um you know and what what I might class as like a traditional form of success and I, and I showed up in my life in a certain way you know um I was a complete closed book I didn't really let anyone in worked you know worked really hard Monday to Friday and you know went out as hard as I could sort of Friday to Sunday um a very sort of typical lad I would say um and then sort of relapse from that and really struggle with my mental health as a result of a lot of those behaviors and then did a you know a lot of coaching a lot of therapy and developed this other side that starts to value you know different things in my life my health my mental health um and start yeah starts to really question the world yeah like you said consumerism you know, look at how we're behaving, maybe how we're not connecting to each other, uh, you know, how much I was drinking or what I was eating, all these different things in my life. And then, yeah, started to feel guilty when 
you know, I did still want to go out and have a good time with my mates or go to a club or, you know, got too, too drunk or, um, actually still, still desired money. And then I think in the last five years, I suppose I've worked hard to try and integrate all those different parts of myself rather than like, you know, rather than reject the part of me that, you know, likes to, let's say, go out and have a good time and spend a load of money on drinks or or whatever and party and dance or um, the part of me that likes to buy, you know, a nice new jacket or um, like a cool item of clothing and the part of me that likes to, you know, do a yoga or a YouTube yoga that costs nothing or go on a long walk in the countryside or, you know, all these different parts that I suppose, yeah, I've tried to integrate because... I agree that can be quite a confusing personal journey, I think, when, yeah, when you start to do that self-reflection and you sort of, yeah, you come at conflict with yourself of, of maybe the, the old you and the new you. Yeah, so I've, I've done a lot of that. Well, because we like things to be binary, don't we? You know, it's it's we're very complex and there's lots of there's lots of shades of grey in between. So, yeah, I think it is it is complex, but it's interesting when you start to be be aware of it. And so, you know, you mentioned, I, I guess, actually, when you said the old you and the new you, I know that there's been, you know, a big journey there. And, you know, you talk openly and we're going to talk about the book and and your company, Sanctus, and how, you know, the real focus is, is mental health. And, you know, after struggling with mental health yourself, um, you know, obviously that led you to where you are now. But, was there a, was there a guess a catalyst for that change because often when we listen to these kind of conversations retrospectively or you know people say in hindsight kind of the kind of you know it jumps from one to the other but was there a was there a catalyst or do you feel like it was a slow gradual transition and then you were like okay i need to make big changes to my life it was definitely a you know a long journey I, i'd probably had about a year of what i would class as like you know struggling with my mental health like you know, anxiety, panic attacks. And, and I've talked a lot about that. I've talked a lot about, you know, what I felt and the experiences I was going through. I think though, when you ask specifically about catalysts, like there were a few moments along the way that were real markers and kind of real jump off points for me that that resulted, I think, in some quite transformative change. And, you know, if I look back and I think if those didn't happen, you know, would I have changed in the way that I have? I think I would have done. I think there would have, would have been other moments. Um, so obviously there was how I felt. There was just like the physical signs in my body. Uh, having a panic attack in particular is very um, visceral. <laughs> you kind of can't ignore mm. that. Um, so obviously that was a catalyst. Just, just how I felt was so new and so like intense that it, it frightened me that I didn't understand that or that my body could react in that way to to what was in my head it just mm. it just confused me i thought how have i not been taught this like you know this is this is kind of really quite severe i suppose but there are a couple of other like moments like you know for example um a mate of mine that i actually went to primary school with so she knew me from you know my my life as a child literally and um basically on a night out like <laughs> I found out that she basically just didn't like me like she said to one of her mates so like James is a um can I swear on this you can swear <laughs> James is a dick basically and I was like whoa 
that that was like a massive mirror. I thought, as if she thinks like that, like I'm not a dick. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. Um, but obviously, like there was a way in which I was showing up. Um, in particular, I think how I was acting around um, around girls, around women, what I was like on you know nights out and stuff. There was just like a massive, yeah, it just like hit me in the face like a big splash of water. And that was like a, a real mirror to me. And then, yeah, and then I suppose the other big jump off point, which I've talked a, a lot about is, is, I suppose, publicly writing and publicly opening up and talking about my mental health was a big moment for me. You know, I've been doing a little bit of blogging and writing about kind of stories in the startup ecosystem and stuff. I'd never really written anything personal about me. And I did that and I kind of, I shared my story for the first time and it was really well received and I felt really listened to and heard and I connected with a lot of people. So I think the physical symptoms, the mirroring from someone that I like kind of respected and liked in my life and then, and then writing it were big catalysts for me really. Mm. Yeah. And I'm sure that response that you mentioned it's interesting because we started off the conversation, you know, talking about this this depiction of entrepreneurs and, and and founders and the startup life, and and I think there's probably a lot more people, well, I'm sure there are, who who are finding it incredibly difficult to do what they do, and you know, having to do the all of the different things that it takes, actually, that it really takes, you know, in to, yeah. to be a founder or to to lead people or to take risks or to really put yourself and your ideas, you know, that that takes courage. Whether it's starting a business or writing a book or or sharing a blog post, you know, it really. I say this to people a lot. It takes courage to share yeah. your ideas and your work with the world because essentially now, when you hit publish or post on anything, even if it's a tweet we are sharing something with the world. And I think that does take courage. And yeah, I'm sure when you, you know, when you shared, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is how it's affects, how it affects me. This is what it takes. I'm sure there are a lot of people who went, oh my gosh, me too. A hundred percent. I mean, I just couldn't, I literally couldn't agree more. Like, you know, we all in the social media world, like, especially like we're all creators. Like you said, like, even if you create a tweet, you know, I know it's not a business, but you're still expressing yourself there's a, there's an element of vulnerability there and it, it does take does take courage and, and bravery to do even something that might seem so small and yeah I think for me like going back to what we we started talking about you know I'd I'd probably spent five years thinking like I need to be a certain way like I need to puff my chest out I need to be this like you know big strong man with biceps and a you know I need to go to the gym and do bench press and then go and do a pitch meeting at 10 o'clock and tell them how I'm going to change the world and I thought that was like what I needed to be to to kind of be successful and to fit in and to be accepted and then you know I wrote this post that was pretty vulnerable and raw and like I got more engagement and more connection than probably I'd ever experienced in my life so it just it massively busted like a myth for me um and that's why yeah that's why it was such a that's why it was such a big deal basically and I, I did feel like for some of the people that read it and I'm not saying it's definitely not just me who started writing more like this like you know there's been plenty of us that have started showing up on social media and I suppose just in life maybe in a more real and honest way and I just it just gives people permission to feel the same and that's why it's so powerful mm. you know it is powerful and 
it's it's interesting because people can have such different reactions, can't they? So you mentioned then on social media, some people will you know share everything like really raw in the moment, exactly how they're feeling. It, you know, they could be experiencing something incredibly difficult, and you know they'll 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 share that. And so some people's response is like, "Wow, you know, this is powerful. Thank you for sharing it." You know, other people need to hear this and see this, and you know, make it normalized. And then I guess the other camp is like. I don't know, it almost becomes for some people quite performative. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, if you're in this experience of, let's say, for example, if you were mid panic attack, as someone who's experienced a panic attack, as you said, it's, you know, so sorry, not myself, but from what you described mm. of, you know, feeling out of control, it's, it's, it's probably very terrifying. You're probably not in that moment thinking I'm going to record this for TikTok. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? So there's these kind of, I do, I think there's definitely a balance there of, you know, people being honest and saying, look, this is, you know, where I'm at. It doesn't have to be the glossy, perfect highlight reel, but also this reality check of like, Sometimes I think people now, it's like we love to pole, we love to pendulum from one extreme to the other. And I feel like we're going towards this other extreme, which is like, unless you are literally crying blood, sweat and tears for the internet, then it's like, you're not keeping it real, you know? And I'm just yeah. like, we've got to find the balance because I do see that a lot where I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I, for example, I have a professional, you know, life and I have a personal life and I have, yeah. you know, motherhood and I have parts of me that... I don't necessarily feel like I owe the internet, but I have had people say to me before, they're like, yeah, but you know, nothing's perfect. And I'm like, no, my life isn't perfect at all, but I don't owe the internet. You know, like I said, blood, sweat and tears. I, I do agree. And I think, I think we've all got to find our right relationship with it and our right balance with it. I do worry about a couple of things. One, I worry that it becomes an expectation that you must you know, you must talk about your mental health on social media, um, mm. which is, is unfair because I think people absolutely have the right to express themselves in whatever way that they would like. Uh, I think you could also argue that people with some sort of following, you know, do have a duty to talk about the hazards of social media and, you know, make it clear that, you know, it's a highlight reel or it's a certain depiction of their life, which I think, to be honest, I think most people are aware of now. Mm. Um, but I also worry about people um, faking vulnerability, which is, you know, which is like the ultimate um, sort of mind boggler. But I, I do think, you know, people people can get quite good at, you know, wearing that cloak of vulnerability, like sharing something about mental health, let's say, or about a struggle and and you know it's not that real but it's kind of real but they're saying it because they know that they need to say it and yeah it just i don't know that 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 becomes warped i, I feel like we've yeah. all got a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media probably um, yeah, and it's, it's not it's not even just sharing it on social media i think it's sharing it in general so i think for example i'm not necessarily saying like oh you know why are you sharing what you're sharing or you shouldn't but i think sometimes people don't necessarily think of the impact it's going to have on them to do that so for a real example that i can give you is that you know i years ago i had you know fertility treatment issues i had miscarriage you know such uh an emotional like of course, you know, physical, emotional, everything, you know, challenging time in my life. And I've spoken about it since, like, you know, five years later, I feel like I was in a different place. I had a different relationship to that time to be able to talk about it or write about it. Or whereas I think had I been doing it in the moment, I think that would have been very different. And I think I would have, say, for example, fertility treatment. It's one of those things where if, if for anyone listening who's ever, you know, had a conversation about, 
trying to get pregnant or everybody knows what you should be doing. You know, you should be eating this thing or you shouldn't be doing that exercise mm. or you need to hang upside down and drink this tea or you need to do acupuncture or your husband should do There's all these things that you should do. And it's almost like the last thing you want to hear if you've just had a miscarriage is someone telling you what you should have done differently. So the reality is that five years later, as I said, you know, sharing my experience might help other people. But in the moment, if I'd have had feedback 100%. from thousands of strangers on the internet, that would have crushed me because I wouldn't yeah. have been able to cope with all these people who didn't know me or my husband or the situation giving me their opinions. So, yeah, I think we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but regardless of whether it's social media or just sharing it with, I don't know, friends or or colleagues at work or just, yeah, I think we don't owe people everything and just knowing actually being prepared and thinking, is this the right time for you to share? And you don't have to, you know, you, yes, being vulnerable and yes, we need to be honest and open about mental health issues. But I think, you know, doing it in a time that's right for you and not because, as I said, you, you feel like you have to. I, I literally, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And it, I mean, from what I hear you say, that to me sounds like quite a healthy relationship with social media that, you know, I'd like to think I've also developed like this stuff in my life. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't write about and don't talk about the stuff that's private to me personally or within me and, you know, me and my family or me and my partner um because yeah i think you think you've got to think about what's the purpose of me sharing this like am i sharing this because i'm lonely and i'm struggling with this thing and i need i need some emotional support now i wouldn't say it's that healthy to be getting a you know a full-on emotional support from from social media maybe it's better mm -hmm. to talk about that elsewhere with a with a, a close friend or a family member so i think you're bang on you you gotta you gotta self-reflect and think you know what what am i looking to get out of you know talking about my mental health or something that's going on in my life on social media hmm. so i want to talk to you james about sanctus because you know your your second company founder of sanctus a community and mission-led company that aims to normalize the conversation around mental health in the workplace and make proactive support more readily available for people at work so so the focus of sanctus as, as i mentioned mental health but at work and i guess is it for well i'd love to hear from you really about why it started the response and whether it's you know for example is it employees would you would you feel of, of organizations that, that needed this or was it employers who were like wow we really need this or both definitely both i would say yeah i mean it started you know i mentioned me writing and talking about my mental health publicly that meant that i sort of gained some I suppose a bit of an audience, some some followers, and and people that were just resonating with with the stories I was telling, and then from there, I I really wanted to bring a community together around mental health so that we could have discussions about mental health in in a way that I just didn't think we were, and I still you know still don't think we massively are. Where you know it was normal to talk about mental health, it was okay, there was no judgment, and we might also talk about mental health before we were struggling you know there there might be people part of the sanctus community that had never had a panic attack you know that were just curious that maybe their job was annoying them or their manager was annoying them or you know they they are sometimes wonder if there's something more or you know they'd like to be a better public speaker or you know they're nervous to try a new sport like you know, all these kind of everyday things that might be holding us back in our life that we wouldn't necessarily talk, you know, we wouldn't necessarily link to mental health. So I suppose the mission of Sanctus 
is really to sort of broaden the scope of what mental health is and and make sure that we're all aware that we all have mental health and, and mental health is not just mental illness. You know, mental illness and mental health issues are one part of this broad spe- spectrum of, of mental health and one part of this broad spectrum of our emotional range. So um, I started like building a community, putting events on, creating groups, just creating the space really for people to come and explore and explore mm-hmm. mental health together. And then from there, both people just started reaching out like you know people that worked in companies people that were in hr roles in companies ceos founders like people just were drawn to our mission because it it really evoked something that i think you know they believed to be true within themselves or they'd experienced and from there we started partnering with other businesses to to reach people at work so that's where the the kind of, i suppose the business model developed that we found that we could partner with companies of all shapes and sizes and together we could change their workplace culture about mental health and create a culture of permission for people in the business to start to reach out and start to work on their mental health proactively uh, with a coach. So that's the actual product. It's that we we make a Sanctus coach available for one-to-one sessions for people. And yeah, and that means that over the last five years, thousands of people have had conversations with with a sanctus coach about their mental health that i don't think they otherwise would have done Hmm. and well i mean nothing's changed the world of work and work culture more dramatically than of course the last few years so the pandemic you know more people than ever have left their job you know we're seeing the great resignation people leaving their jobs changing careers changing industries and of course a lot of people are still working from home some people's companies have said actually we're going to switch to working from home forever whilst other people are attempting to navigate this hybrid working so sometimes they're working from home sometimes they're in the office or you know in a co-working space so i think the wider conversation that i'm hearing is that the future of work this hybrid working from home you know it's 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 quite a negative and bleak um conversation everyone says you know we're not supposed to be in isolation by ourselves we're not supposed to be on screens all the time we're not you know we're, we're community led animals we're supposed to be together and actually yeah people working by themselves isn't necessarily going to be a good thing but on the flip side i'm hearing people tell me that they're really enjoying the fact that they you know maybe they've you know maybe they've created a new work life balance maybe they've created a home office maybe they you know start work at a different time and maybe they go and exercise in the morning or they might exercise at lunch so and um, or maybe they've got more time to I don't know, maybe, you know, carve their work out in a different way. So they might take two hours in the afternoon after they pick up their kids from school to be with their children and then log back on and do work later. So what do you think about the future of this hybrid working from home in office person world? Do you think it's going to be beneficial or detrimental to people's mental health? I don't have a strong opinion on on whether it's beneficial or detrimental to be honest i suppose I'd, I'd take a step back and and maybe frustratingly be a bit more like meta and abstract about it and you know i think what what we really need is for people to kind of answer that question for themselves i suppose like mm. i think we've all had well i don't think we've all had a shared experience with our health and our mental health in the last two years and 
what the pandemic has done i think it's given us all permission to be a bit more open and because we've all struggled like you know and, and it's we've had the shared experience so it's meant that people you know have developed a bit more openness a, a little bit more ability to maybe talk about how they're feeling and that's that's definitely changed our culture and i think it's changed our our behaviors now you know i think it's also highlighted the real differences in in us you know like if i am a 25 year old um you know young single guy you know maybe i, I you know I probably want to be in the office like i want to learn from people i want to meet people i want to be doing after work drinks if i am you know a 50 year old mother of three you know maybe i never want to go in the office again because actually i'm spending more time with my kids or i can you know whatever it might be i'm making broad generalizations so i think we've all had we've had a shared experience but we've also had like you know really personal experiences to this so mm. i don't know if i could say whether it's detriment detrimental or beneficial collectively um, I think there are some big themes around like lack, lack of social contacts, um, isolation, but that's not really been as a result of working from home. I think, you know, that's been as a result of, of a lockdown because, you know, you can remote work and work from home and you can create community and you can create um, social contact with family, friends or sports or the gym or whatever it might be out in you know other clubs and communities outside of your life so i think we've all had a really personal experience and i think what it's highlighted for me is like everyone has to do that exploration themselves like we've been all there's loads more autonomy and flexibility and choice now so in a way it kind of makes it kind of puts more pressure and onus on you to actually decide what you value and what you want Whereas mm. before it was like, nah, nah, status quo, we all go into offices five days a week, like it or lump it. Whereas now it's like, no, you've got the choice, which is an amazing thing, but also quite a difficult thing, actually, because then you actually have to do the inner work, the self-work to work out what you actually want, which I would argue is is possibly possibly quite harder. Um, yeah, so I don't know if it's, if it's better or worse. I think it's got challenges either way, but I think the the good news and the bad news is that people do have more power and more autonomy to make those choices for themselves, which which means I think you've got to do a lot of reflection on what you value and, and what you want in your life. Yes, you make a really, really great point there around the fact that when you when the choice is made for you, as you said, you can kind of go along and say, well, this is what I've got to do. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, you can blame somebody else. But I do think it is very difficult when a choice is given to you, whatever the choice is, and then you have to decide. Because as you said, the responsibility, the ownership, the outcome ultimately is, it does feel like, well, it's all on you. So, you know, decide, make it a good decision. And actually, I think for young people, I think it's just so difficult. You know, I'm doing a, I'm working with, um, a company soon on a graduate program and you know do, doing some workshops and events and talks for them and I just think for graduates now you know if they are going to start with a company or an organization and they are going to work from home they might not meet anybody that they work with they might not meet their manager they might not have those opportunities to learn or to be mentored or to just kind of just learn from being on the job and being in the environment and having to show up because they're going to essentially join the company sit in their house and open their laptop yeah. and do some work. So I do think that is, you know, in terms of career progression, in terms of just learning skills that 
you know, the kind of the skills that you might not put on paper as part of your job, but whether that's, you know, communi- communicating with others, whether that's, I don't know, we use these, these phrases, don't we, like teamwork and resilience, but ultimately you do have to learn these things in the environment. So I really do think, I don't know how it's going to play out, I guess, for young people who are just entering the world of work, but yeah, you make a really great point that actually if people have that choice, they're going to have to really think about what they want, who they are and what's going to work best for them. Exactly, which is which is some tough questions, and and you're right, especially to answer possibly when when you're younger. I think to 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 follow, I, I probably you know it was a bit, you know, is it better? Is it better? Is it better or worse? Yes, a bit of a sort of fence sitting response of, I think it depends on your personal situation. However, one thing I am absolutely like staunchly for is is connecting with people in person like you know we need that humans need like real physical social connection now where you get that i think you you could have a life where you don't meet your work colleagues I i do think that's a real life that that some people may live however you can't have a life where you don't meet anyone in person like mm. you know or, and that's certainly not a world i want to live in so um you know i think that and that's where you, you again i think i think you nailed it like i do think there's a lot of confusion at the moment because i think people have have really benefited from you know from working from home it's like oh yeah i really want to work from home because you know i get to put my washing on when i want to and i get, <laughs> get to get out of bed a bit later and but i'm really lonely and i want to spend more time with people so you know there's a there's a people are like conflicted um and i think if you want to work from home in particular you have to build a community outside of your work you yeah. just have to it's got to be some it's got to be around a hobby or an interest or you know your family life's got to be quite you know quite intimate or whatever because you know i yeah that's one thing i'm certain of and one thing i want for all of us that yeah, that we live in community, that, that we're connected to, mm. to people in, in real physical life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's not just because I'm an extrovert and I love to be in the room, <laughs> but I think it just gives you a different approach. It gives you a different energy. You know, the days you know, I work for a startup and the days that I work from home, you know, on screens, on Zooms all day long, you know, in and out of meetings. And the days when I go into the office, I think even just... It sounds very silly, but even just what you wear, you know, putting on for, 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 for women, put, you know, putting on makeup, putting on perfume, yeah. doing your hair, you know, those things. I think for people who say, you know what, I prefer working from home, you know, I can be more, I can be productive at home. I can get these things done. I notice kind of a different energy in them when they come into the office, because even if it is just, yeah, I've put on my jeans and I've put on my boots and I've got, it's just different. And, you know, there's interactions, the small interactions that you have with people, even not people that you work with, but just the person serving you your coffee or, you know, when I go to pick up my son from school, I might chat to some parents uh, just waiting for the kids to come out. You know, there's those interactions as well that you're you're so right. I do not want to live in a world where we are all just by ourselves, you know, doing everything remotely because I don't think that it's, I don't think it's good for us, but I don't also think we get the best outcomes. So I'm, it's, I agree it's also just not are. fun. Like, yeah. you know, we've only met once, but, you know, since you're someone who likes to have a laugh and have fun, <laughs> like, it's just not fun. Like... You know, I like to have fun. Like I like, you know, I, I I find myself smiling less when I work online. I find myself laughing less, and you know, I wanna yeah, I wanna live like a happy, fun, like rich life where I really like connect with people fully. And 
yes, it's possible to recreate some of that online. Yeah, it's it's in my you know experience over the last two years, it's just never as rich as as being in in person. Oh no way! We all did those Zoom quizzes in the first lockdown, and like, no, it's not it's not the same. Um, so we need to talk about the book, James, because you published your first book, Mental Health at Work. The timing was very apt. So the book came out last year. Who did you write this book for? Whoa. Um, I wrote it for, I think I tried to write it for anyone, you know, genuinely. I suppose that's a bit of a, maybe a lot of authors say that. Um, I tried to write it really for, for anyone with an interest in mental health, I would say. And in particular, anyone with an interest in, in being a bit more of an advocate around mental health, specifically in the workplace. But um, but I think you can take the lessons and apply them to, to any aspect of your life or any group in your life. So, yeah, anyone that's got a, a sort of peaked interest in mental health and in particular in how they can be a mental health advocate in the workplace and, and be a bit of a an evangelist, I you know, when I write about mental health, I often talk about movements and communities and we can all play a part and we do all play a part in mental health culture and co-creating that culture. So, yeah, for anyone that wants to be like a, a bit of an activist, really, in uh, in the in the change that we're, we're part of around mental health. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about the process, the book writing process, which you said that you really enjoyed as a first time author and someone who's, I guess, been writing, you know, and sharing via your blog for a long time. So, yeah, I guess that wasn't a surprise to you that actually you really enjoyed the process of writing the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot surprised me about the process. I was unsurprised that I enjoyed writing because, you know, I do enjoy it. Like, I quite like the solitary nature of it. I like it's very deep you know and and you mm. really get into it don't you like it's it's really um yeah really hands-on and gritty and yeah I, lo I love I love that part of any creative process it kind of writing the book kind of re really reminded me of those first stages of building a business where it's just like you're so in it um yeah. you know and you're properly like building it with your bare hands and I love that um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff came up for me when I was writing it about like my credibility and, um, you know, worrying about what people would think and, um, getting really attached to it. And yeah, so, so I did enjoy it, but I was also fascinated by like some of my responses throughout it. Yeah, I can, I can agree. I think when I, Seth Godin talks about, you know, never read the reviews of your books or your work. And of course, as a first time author, the first thing I did was read all the reviews. <laughs> so yeah. literally, well, you're I've like, definitely not done you... that. So. Oh, well, I did maybe listen to Seth Godin and don't do it. But I'm someone who I was like, of course, I'm going to read them all. And so you can read. No, the no, first... I mean, it, sorry, I have definitely read them. Oh, all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things, isn't it? You can read the first 10 if they're, you know, five out of five and they're great and people love it. And you're like, this is great. And then as soon as you get one person that's like, oh, this is you know i've heard this all before this has been done to death this person's not saying anything new you're like oh my gosh this is awful and like for me anyway i was like oh my gosh this is terrible and then in reality of course not everyone's gonna like absolutely everything i don't like every single book that i've read some books i don't even finish them i'm like okay I'm, i've got enough yeah. from that but it's interesting i found that really interesting because now let's be honest as well the world we live in now you know the numbers the metrics the the lists the rankings like everything you do has this kind of 
metric next to it, whether it's how many likes, how many sales, how many, whether that's a book or a photo or a tweet, as we said. So I do think for as much as people can say, create your art, share it with the world and just give your gift. You're like, yeah, but what are those reviews saying? Let's be honest. Yeah. And, and like you said about, yeah, you can feel like that, but the world and as a society, we're not on the whole like that, are we? I could be very detached and very zen and very spiritual and, you know, I've written my book and it's out there and what will be will be. Yet, you know, I then Amazon ranks me in, in how many <laughs> yeah. I've sold or um, I see someone else I follow, you know, their books are Sunday Times bestseller and mine's not. And, you know, like that's just out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, book writing and that whole like, you know, the lists and the the top 100s and yeah the awards and whatever it might be like it's i suppose it's kind of similar to like business and stuff but mm. um yeah it was it was actually i, I get i actually really valued like when we met at the uh, event the other week you know chatting to you and, and helen from amazing if just connecting around that and you know that I'm always I kind of continue to be surprised at how powerful that is. Just having a shared experience with someone and, and thinking, oh, it's not just me who, who's kind of a bit beaten down by this or um, annoyed about something, and yeah, feeling like you're not alone in it. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, real conversations with people who are, as Brene Brown would say, in the arena. Because you know, mm -hmm. creating something and sharing it with the world and the whole industry and publishing and all that, as you as we discussed, you know, it's very complex. But I think it's it's you should, it doesn't diminish the achievement of saying, you know, what you've written and published a book. That is an incredible thing to do. But I think for people who are in the arena with you, it's it's always interesting to have conversations with people. So yeah, if you're a founder of a business, speaking to other founders is going to be very different to speaking to your sister who says you know <laughs> everything you do is amazing so yeah speak to people with whatever arena you're in speak to other people in the arena it's very very helpful 100 percent. millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. talk to you about the power hour if we can squeeze it in because i know i could just keep talking to you all day but i want to talk to you about the power hour i'm really interested to hear what you're going to say i have no idea what you're going to say but for me power hour all about the first hour of the day you know for me it is an early start i know not everybody gets up as early as i do but it's an early start because it gives me some time before the rest of the day starts free from distraction free from interruption i can do whatever i want and nobody expects me to be available for them and it's yeah it's really cultivated carved out time and no one is getting it it's non-negotiable so i'd love to know typically what time you get up each day and what the first hour of your day looks like so at the moment i've definitely gone in and out of different rhythms in my life i think that's a bit of a, of a, of a caveat at the moment i mean i'm on I'm in quite a different space. I'm, I'm essentially on like a bit of a sabbatical at the moment. I've I've moved away from 
Um, my full-time role was Sanctus and I've taken a board role. So that's my caveat that I'm in a very different space. But I really, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of ritual um, and the power of ritual in our lives. So I really, I really love the notion of, of power hour. So at the moment, I'm probably, I'm probably getting up at about waking up at about 7.30. I'm actually probably out of bed by eight. And then in that hour, whenever that hour may be, because the times do vary, I'm not completely, I'm not that disciplined, if I'm honest, in my life in general. But in that hour, the things that are, the practices that are really powerful for me is my morning coffee. I mean, I just, I just love that. I know it sounds, well, it doesn't sound, I'm not going to caveat with sounds silly. I love just looking out the window and just like having a bit of time, just like staring out the window at like trying to notice like the weather and I don't know, watching the birds and looking at the trees and kind of being in touch with the seasons. Like that, that's something that I don't know, I find quite supportive. Um, journaling. So I do a lot of journaling. That's like a non-negotiable for me. I journal every morning. Um, which is just like free flow, open-ended journaling. Um, I just literally just write and write and write and write for probably anything from 15 to 30 minutes. Then I will also, at the moment, I'll also listen to a pod, some sort of podcast, usually like a podcast that, I don't know, like I feel like it gives me energy rather than I feel like I have to listen to it to learn something. So something that's fairly like uplifting. Um, bit of reading, uh, even if it's just a couple of pages of a book I'm reading. Uh, that's just pleasure. That's like pleasure reading again, not not learning. Um, and then there's something else. And then one thing I've started doing more and more of is, is like drawing, like just getting like a piece of paper and just like, I don't know, just like doodling on it and stuff. Because I really enjoy that and I find it fun and playful and you know one of the, the things i like about the notion of this hour is that it's just for you and it, it kind of doesn't matter really in a way it matters for you <laughs> um but it's not for anyone else um you know and it doesn't need to be shared or judged. yeah and it doesn't have to have a measurable outcome because i think exactly, that is the yeah. that's sometimes actually the the, I guess the misconception of the, the power hour or the book is people go, oh, you know, get up earlier. It must be, you know, this productivity, yeah, do everything in that one hour. And actually, so it's quite interesting when people, uh, yeah, I guess, explore it and understand that actually it doesn't have to have an outcome because so much of our yeah. lives and so much of our day is outcome driven. Whereas if you can, as you said, spend that first hour, if you can look out the window, if you can doodle, if you can journal and sip your coffee and it doesn't have to be rushed and the difference that you feel in your body from, you know, from a neurochemical state as well, things like adrenaline, cortisol, you know, if you wake up and you're straight into your life, if it's busy, I'm sure you've been there in the past, you know, running companies and it, it's just a different level, you know, the adrenaline, the cortisol from, from the minute you wake up. So I think it's really nice to hear, even, you know, you said the word playful it's like we think we sometimes again say these words around like oh creativity and playfulness like as if they're you know real luxuries but actually they're so important it's so so important and you know whether it's your physical health and mental health emotional health they're all so interlinked that i really hope people will 
yeah, hear, I guess, the the approach in the morning that you have and maybe just try it out for themselves. If, if, their, if their morning is, you know, nothing like yours, then yeah, I think it's nice to hear that sometimes and go, well, what would it be like if I just tried that tomorrow? And really important also as well with more of a lens on working from home, you know, because I think you've got to create that hour, you've got to create that ritual. Whereas again, before it might've been given to us, that ritual might've been, okay, I get in the car, I drive to the office, I get a coffee on the way and that's my power hour. Um, you know, whereas I think if you're working from home and you've got a bit more autonomy, it's it's on us to create that container um, for ourselves. And I think one thing I need to maybe, I shouldn't say they need to, but one thing I would probably like to do more of is what you described when you're listening to a podcast or you're reading a book, it's just for enjoyment. Whereas I'll be honest, I listen to, I listen to probably a book a week on Audible and I listen to a lot mm. of podcasts because audio is just the best way for me to learn. But they're always to do with, you know, the work that I'm doing or research that I'm doing or a guest that I'm going to interview. So it's always got this work element to it. I never really, it's always nonfiction and it's always you know, what can I learn from this? What can I do implement? And, and I always have that idea in my mind of like, um, this is benefiting me by listening to this or learning this. I never really listen to anything that's just, yeah, just for fun. So I'm going to give yeah. that a try myself. I mean, that's been a big one for me. I actually, um, I read very little nonfiction, to be honest. If I do read nonfiction, I'll listen to it because I find I can learn from it and kind of consume it and absorb it in a better way. But yeah, like if I'm listening to a podcast or reading a book it's typically i don't listen to podcasts are a bit different but books i just i may i pretty much only read fiction to be honest because i just find that in a story like i get immersed into it and i actually feel like i learn more but like different learning you know it's like it's empathy or it's new stories new vocabulary so yeah i'm a big big fiction fan Mm, I might be tempted to give that a try. Well, thank you so much, James, for this conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. Before we close, I'd love to ask you, where can people connect with you and where can they... I'm not going to ask where they can get a copy of the book because the book is Mental Health at Work, so I'm sure they can find that everywhere online. (laughs) But where can they connect with you? What's the best way? Probably best way is LinkedIn, actually. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, Yeah, so James Routledge on LinkedIn, connect or, or follow me there. That's where I'm, I'm posting most regularly. Great. Thank you. LinkedIn is new stomping ground for me. I've literally just started this year to kind of get involved. I mean, I've had a profile on there for since forever, which was so <laughs> out of date. And then this year I'm like, all right, we're, we're green LinkedIn. We're going to be doing this. So I will see you there, James. Please do. Great community. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big fan, actually. Awesome. Thank you so much. And everyone for tuning in, listening, supporting the show as always. I really, really appreciate it. Every share, every person that, you know, rates and reviews the show. I really appreciate it. And it helps us to grow the Power Hour and to book amazing guests like James. So thanks, everyone. Have an awesome week and I'll be back next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.